Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I am so excited that today's guest is actually a second-time guest, and people were just going on and on about how great they loved her and begged for her to come back, and so we received a bunch more questions, and so we're excited that you came back on. Thank you so much. Oh, it's 100% my pleasure. I'm so happy to answer questions and talk about anything you'd like and what your audience would like to hear about. Well, she is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist in California. And you know what's funny? We actually, so we get to see where all of our listeners, you know, like I get to see on our podcast of who logs in. And do you know California is where we have the most listeners on our podcast? So um, you've been recognized Orange County's Medical Association's Physician of the Year for 14 years in a row. That's unbelievable. So welcome back. Tell us what's new with you. I know that last time we spoke, you were getting close to releasing your new book, PCOS, SOS. How's that coming? And when's that going to be coming available? Well, it's being formatted. As we speak, I have the cover that's been completely designed and they're just um, deciding what kind of typeface. So it's in the final stages. So we'll probably release it in January. Awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's get right into our questions. This is from Regina in Florida. In her last podcast, Dr. Gersh said that birth control pills can alter the gut microbiome in negative ways. There isn't a lot of info about this online, and so I'm hoping she can explain a little more. I don't want to be on the pill, but I also don't want to be pregnant. Can you talk about healthier alternatives for birth control, and what about IUDs? Well, that is a fabulous question, and I wish there were more research out there, but we do have enough to know that the gut microbiome is in fact altered. There's actually a very special part of the gut microbiome called the astrobilome, which is associated with such, with such things as um, autoimmune diseases and breast cancer, and women who've been on birth control pills do run higher risk of both of those types of conditions. Women on birth control pills can have higher rates of Hashimoto's thyroiditis and lupus and Crohn's disease. And as I mentioned, after about 10 years of continuous use on the birth control pills, they increase their risk of developing breast cancer by about 40%. So there really is a serious impact 
on the gut microbiome. And, and we really have to then think of, like she said, what are some alternatives? Yeah. So what about these apps? Because I use an app just because I want to know when that time of the month is for me, really because of, I always know that the the five days before I'm about to start my period, I'm just ravenously hungry. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And so I'm like, okay, is it that? Or do, do you, first of all, let's talk about that because is there, you know, you know, is that just a myth that you are just ravenously hungry five to seven days before your period? Or is there anything, any truth behind that? Well, every woman can be impacted a little differently. For example, some, unfortunately, will not have the ravenous hungries, but they'll have the depression, like with PMS. But we know, for example, that estrogen is very involved with the endocannabinoid system, which we know when you have higher levels of cannabinoids, like if, you, if somebody was smoking marijuana, they often get the munchies. So yes, it can actually change with the cycle, women are amazingly rhythmic and these changes in hormones can have impacts on the brain. And it's in the brain where you have your appetite centers. So it is definitely possible to have these alterations and maybe there's some sort of, um, for you, if you think about it, sort of a evolutionary benefit if a woman, if she's gonna be getting pregnant, because that's of course the goal in the second half of the luteal phase, they should be pregnant, that it'll increase their appetite, they'll start gaining weight. So maybe there's something of an adaptation there, but some women do get that, but it's not universal. It certainly can happen. And obviously everyone is different. So with these apps, you know, I'm pu pulling one mine up right now. How many days on this app can you actually get pregnant? Talk about that for just a second. The egg itself, is the most viable for about 24 hours once it's ovulated. But the sperm can live for at least five days. So, you know, if a male and a female have sexual intercourse and it's five days, or even you know, it could be six days ahead of when she ovulates, then we you know, don't really know what's going to be, you know, so we have to be careful about when you have sexual relations before you ovulate because those sperm can be somewhat hardy and they're there waiting. So you really would want to be careful. I would say to, if you really don't want to get pregnant, probably for about a week before you ovulate to not have sexual relations, just, just in case. And then figure that you'll have one and then maybe even add an extra day for cautiousness that the egg might somehow be extra viable. So you're really going to take a minimum of seven or even potentially nine days out of the cycle that you would not want to have sexual relations just to really be safe. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this app right here that I just pulled up and that's exactly, it's saying like for me, it's saying on November 8th is the day according to my, you know, when I put that I started that November 8th is the day that I ovulate. And then it's telling me that one, two, three, four, five days before um, that I, sh you know, that's the time that I'm still fertile within those five days. So you're saying if you want to be extra safe, then really you could make it, you know, six or seven days before that day of ovulation. Just because 
not what if you're a little stressed that month and you delay your ovulation a day or it happens a day early, you know, just because everyone is not so perfectly regular to, you could be off by a day, you know, that one, if you're going to be perfectly timing it to the day, you might make a mistake one month. So, you know, that's why I try to put in a little cushion of time there. Mm -hmm. Um, this next question is coming from Anonymous, She's, and it relates to this. She says, I've been wanting to get pregnant, and this is opposite from Regina. She says, I've been wanting to get pregnant, and I'm struggling. I'm eating clean. I'm having sex when I'm supposed to, and the doctors can't figure out why I'm not getting pregnant. Can you give me any ideas of what I'm doing wrong to not get pregnant? Well, it certainly is extremely frustrating when there's like what we call unexplained infertility. Now, one of the things that sometimes is really missed is the male factor. At least 40% of fertility can be male factor related. And it, it's really a devastating thing that's happening to males. We live in a world of endocrine disruptors and subtle things like phthalates, which are scents and soft plastics and vinyls. And of course, the other plastics that have bisphenol A are just so ubiquitous. And these things are altering not just male sperm counts, which have plummeted, but also the fertilization capability of the sperm. So I would definitely take another look at him if she's been so checked out and they can't find anything with her. In terms of what she can do to optimize her fertility herself, I would say doing timed eating. This can really make a difference. We now know that there are circadian clocks in every single cell in our body, including in our ovaries. And our ovaries are very, very timed and they have melatonin receptors. So sometimes people are just busy. They think they're fine, but they're not getting enough sleep. They're not getting enough production of melatonin during the night. And that's really altering the quality of their ovulation. So even if they're having regular cycles, it just may not be a high quality of egg that they're putting out. It's not a good ovulation. And the hormones that are surrounding it may not be quite optimal to maintain a fertilized egg even and allow implantation. It's an amazingly complex process. It's amazing that it happens so well so often. But when you really think about it, it's really a miracle. And so things like not getting enough sleep, going to bed too late, sleeping in a room that has too much ambient light, eating all over the day. So she should try to have a big healthy breakfast with lots of vegetables. There's magic in those polyphenols that are in vegetables that can actually improve fertility. So I would definitely try to up the vegetable intake, also beans and lentils, which feed the microbiome, which also help to keep you very healthy and fertile. So I would definitely eat more vegetables, eat a big breakfast, don't snack, don't eat late at night, and make sure you get enough sleep, and also work on stress. We now know that there's a real big connection between elevated cortisol levels and an altered circadian rhythm of your cortisol and fertility. And that's why there's actually data that doing meditation or guided imagery or other kinds of mind-body medicine that can reduce stress can up your fertility success rate. Yeah, we did get a comment that there, it wasn't a question, but she said, I wanted you to know that before I did an intermittent fasting, my period was all over the place. Once I started doing intermittent fasting, the first few weeks, my period was still all over the place. 
But after I did it for 30 days, and now I'm consistently doing intermittent fasting, I'm eating in a six-hour window, my period is now perfect every time. I'm exactly going by my app, and every time I'm getting my period exactly when I'm supposed to. Thanks again, Jenny in Sacramento. It wasn't a question, but... Um, I think that's interesting, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. My periods never were regular. I never had a regular period. As soon as I started doing intermittent fasting and eating anywhere in a six- to eight-hour window, my periods have been regular ever since. I the, I was the same way. My first first few weeks, I was kind of all over the place. Now my periods are completely regular. Um, oh, wonderful success stories. Yes. So what would you say about that? Do you, have you seen other people do that with intermittent fasting and they've had uh, their periods get more regular? Absolutely. Now, for most people, they actually don't even have to go to that level that you were talking about. If they can keep their eating such that they have a solid 13-hour fast at night from dinner to breakfast. So mm -hmm. if they say, finish eating at seven and then eat a nice breakfast at eight in the morning then just and then not snacking during the day and eating real food and doing that for several months that that will help get their circadian clocks right that will help get their ovaries on the beat it's really everything is about when you eat as as well as what you eat and you also when you don't eat for a while you have that gut rest it gives your gut a chance to heal and so it's it's really quite phenomenal we have been living totally out of rhythm out of sync with the way our bodies were designed to live and by getting it back our bodies then allow fertility because when you have irregular cycles that is a real vital sign that a woman is having some real underlying problem. So the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of female health. So we should take it very seriously and not just try to cover it up. You know, like we don't want to just cover up some kind of a problem. We want to solve it. And taking steps to eat the right foods at the right time and getting the gut rest and so on is wonderful for improving your overall fertility and your overall health. Because once again, the two are completely interlinked. Mm. All right. This is from Carmen in Lubbock, Texas. I consider myself to be pretty organic. I eat really clean and I use a lot of all natural body products and home products. One thing I haven't really switched to is organic tampons, mostly because they are so expensive. Do you think there's a big difference in organic tampons and regular and what kind do you recommend? That's a, you know what? I think I'm a really organic person. I've really never even thought about using organic tampons. So that's a great question. Well, and they're very hard to get a hold of. And, and you're not even sure who's doing the testing of them as well. So I've kind of moved into recommending for women that are willing to do this. And it's not very hard to use one of the latex versions of a menstrual cup. Because those are naturally fine. They actually do not have toxins in them. And there's quite a few brands out there. So I would say try to use one of the menstrual cups. They are probably a better alternative. In terms of organic tampons, they, they're very difficult to get a hold of. I really think that 
we should have a movement and a new company. This is like a great opportunity for anybody out there listening to start up a new like venture capital investment of yes. women. I mean, honestly, this really is an important issue and we need to get better organic tampons out there. There's a, you know, a variety of other products that people have tried to create, different kinds of menstrual pads that are organic, but a lot of women don't want something external to catch the menstrual fluids. You know, it's just something between their legs. They don't like it. So there are, you know, people coming up with menstrual panties and men's, you know, that are, you know, you can wash that more like, uh, you know, getting away from disposable diapers, you know, and more organic products, but they're all, those are external things. So I would suggest using the menstrual cup, you know, because mm -hmm. those are not plastic, they're latex. And, um, and I think we need to start a new company and make some organic tampons. Hey guys, I'm so excited that my new book, Waste Away, the Chantel Rayway is now available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can find books. But we also have the audio book, the ebook, and my new recipe book that you can download all the recipes that I love that I make. And it's super cheap. It's all my favorites. Anyway, if you have a minute to write a review on Amazon, I would be ever grateful. All right, Courtney in South Carolina. In your last podcast, you talk about taking Lysteta to help with your bleeding during your period. I mentioned it to my doctor and he's never heard of it. Can you talk more about the use and dosage of this? Is it something I take during my period? I don't like taking a lot of medicine, but I would consider something that's only taken a few days per month. Is this how it works? Did I pronounce it right? Lysteta. is how I say it. So that is the generic name is transaminic acid. In many places in Europe, this is an over-the-counter product. And it's certainly not something that I'd like anyone to have to use long-term. But if a woman is having a lot of heavy bleeding and she's losing so much blood, she's getting anemic. We, it being iron deficient is a huge negative for health. We don't want that to happen. So at least in the short term, we have to come up with some solutions to slow the bleeding. I do use herbals. For example, cramp bark is very helpful. And you know, magnesium can be very helpful. A lot of antioxidants, vitamin E, vitamin D, and so on can be helpful. Transaminic acid or Lysteta works internally in the uterine cavity. So it doesn't create blood clots all over your body. It doesn't have that kind of, of a risk at all. What it does is it promotes that the menstrual blood in the, in the blood vessels that are coming, that opening, that allow this bleeding to occur, that it clots them over so that they'll heal over faster. And there are some studies that show that when you use it, you can reduce blood flow in some women up to almost 50%, which can be very, very helpful. And it really is one of the safer drugs. It's only used for up to five days out of the whole month, that's all. So it's not something used chronically. It's taken two pills three times a day at the very onset of the period, and it can be taken for five days. But, but a lot and, of and the time. point of this is just to help slow down your bleeding. Is that right? Like if you're having like massively. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we want to do that while we get the woman healthier. Because mm -hmm. what that usually means is that they're overproducing prostaglandin. Sometimes giving a little bit of progesterone can help it. You need um, to work with a doctor that's going to help you to overall solve your problem. But in the short term, we've got to slow that blood loss. Okay. 
All right, Terry in Fluvanna. Like some of these places, I don't even know. Have you ever even heard of this? Fluvanna. I don't know where that is. But um, it says, I had a radical hysterectomy in my early 50s because of a cancerous cyst. At that time, my doctor didn't want me to take any hormones because of the cancer scare. It's been about seven to eight years since the surgery, and I haven't found any good alternatives to use as a natural hormone replacement. What would you recommend? Well, I would definitely need more information because if it's a cyst on, from the ovary, then honestly, there is no real reason why she can't go on hormones. And, and I'm not sure if it was just because somebody was afraid of hormones, but that probably is not a hormone-related cancer in that the hormones can stimulate it. So I would need to have more information, but there's a high probability that she could really just go on hormones and feel much better because there is no perfect solution to a hormone deficiency that's not a hormone. But in terms of natural products that, are, that can be helpful, uh, for a lot of women, if they're having symptoms, some of the polyphenols like quercetin and pygnogenol can help because they help stabilize the mast cells. A lot of times there's a lot of inflammation that's going on in these women, and that can help. Also, the things that we talked about that help fertility, like that you used, the time-restricted eating and some intermittent fasting, can also help these women. Eating more of the phytoestrogen foods, and, and soy has been maligned terribly, and soy has been used in very terrible ways as well. You know, they use soy to make pretend everything. So if you have pretend cheese that's made out of the soy, or turkey burgers, or, you know, um, you know, ice cream or who knows what. They, they use soy to make everything under the sun and they use soy um, isolates where they take it apart and they take pieces out of it and so on. That is not a healthy way. And soy, conventional soy is one of the most polluted of all the crops. They use so much herbicide and such on it. So it has to be organic. Mm. But if you eat organic, un, you know, processed soy, so that would be the edamame, or tofu, miso, um, tempeh, um, and then natto, which is fermented soy, is actually an extremely healthy food. As long as it's from organic soy, these foods are actually going to be helpful because they are phytoestrogens. What that means is that there are actually these components within them that can bind to actual estrogen receptors and can actually in some ways have the same benefits, not harm, these are benefits of estrogen to help the gut work better, to help the arteries be more dilated so it can help reduce the hypertension and some of the mood issues. So it can and even reduce- So, so what you're saying is that a lot of the soy that's out there is just, let's say fake, right? Just so processed. You know, and so you're saying there's a few, few things of soy that is okay for you. Um, so, and some of those things, name some of those again that you would say these types of soy is okay. And as long as they're organic, it would be the um, edamame, the actual beans. So the beans, tofu, miso, tempeh, and natto. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I just kind of stay away from soy altogether. It's just as much soy as I can stay away from. I just, I'm like, forget it. 
no mandate that every woman has to eat soy by any stretch. But if you are not making any estrogen, as you know, you don't have functioning ovaries or they don't exist in your body any longer, this can be truly helpful. Right. Okay. Um, this is from Anonymous. I recently was tested for BRCA and tested positive for the BRCA1 mutation. I'm overwhelmed with decisions on how I should move forward. Should I freeze my eggs? Should I remove my breast? Have a hysterectomy? I don't know where to begin. On top of all these big decisions I'm facing, I'm also thinking about the little ones. What should I be eating and what can I be doing to make myself as healthy as possible? I want to do anything that I can and what do you recommend? Well, there's no question that is a devastating piece of information for any woman to receive because what that means is that she has a very high risk of developing breast cancer in her lifetime, about 80% based on the data, and also for ovarian cancer, about 20 to 25%. So that's where it comes out where she's talking about, should I have prophylactic removal of these organs like my breasts, my ovaries, at what age, and so on. And this is sort of along the lines of like the Angelina Jolie issue, because she also had a BRCA, one of these BRCA mutations. I don't know if she had one or two, but these, and also even uterine cancer now, we know with BRCA1 is increased in incidence. So these are huge. huge okay, issues. so I said it wrong. I'm sorry. So it's, it's actually, it is BRCA1 and BRCA2 then, is that right? Well, those are the two. And I think you said in this particular case, she has the one. But yeah. they're, both, they're both devastating to have, and both of them increase these risks of ovarian and breast and uterine cancers, and the, the uterine cancer more with the one. So that's why they recommend taking out organs, but at what age? There's no magic number. Now, these, these mutations have been around forever, and in, like, say, 200 years ago, women who had these uh, genetic variants, they did not have such high incidence of these cancers. The reason that these cancers are now so much higher in incidence in these women with these mutations is our environment, the inflammatory foods, the endocrine disruptors. So what I would recommend for her is to go as 100% organic as human beings can go. So definitely eat everything you can as an organic, a natural, and that would include on your skin, you know, your skin products, get an air purifier, get water purifier, you know, do everything you can to keep these environmental toxins at the lowest level possible in your body and eat enormous amounts of vegetables because of the antioxidants, the polyphenols. For people with these mutations, we're recommending between nine and 12 cups of vegetables a day to lower, to try to bring that risk down to what it was about 100, 200 years ago, which was maybe a 20% risk now for breast cancer. Now, instead of a 20% risk, which was still more than anyone would want, but now it's up to 80%. Mm -hmm. So this is a crazy change and it's environmentally triggered. So definitely do everything you can to be, you know, the healthiest you can with all organic and lots of antioxidants, polyphenols, and then you really have to make very personal decisions about when to have organs removed. In general, for women having their ovaries removed, they want to at least wait until after they've had their children so that right. they don't deal you know, with these other things. Because 
freezing the eggs won't really help if you have your uterus removed because that's really, for BRCA1, it's really now recommended if you're going to start doing these prophylactic surgeries to take the, the uterus out too. So, you know, you're not going to, you're going to have to use a donor egg with a donor person. You'd have to use a right. surrogate. This becomes really, um, you know, very challenging financially in every which way. And of course, success rates are not very high. People have to realize that, that storing eggs is a viable but not high um, success option. So I would recommend, you know, doing lots of surveillance and trying to get your, you know, be as healthy as you can, try to have your children, and then afterwards having all these different surgeries. Because it would certainly be better if you breastfed your children. You know, if these organs are now healthy and you're talking about the future, maybe you could have, you know, some, at least say two children, nurse them, and then have these organs removed. Wow. All right. Sarah in Utah. Several of my friends, I've been talking to them about stress and anxiety, and some of them are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine, and it's not something I'm ready to explore, mostly because of the side effects, and I hate taking medication. I focus on a lot of prayer and meditation, bubble baths, all the natural stuff, but I've been doing some reading, and I'm wondering if some or all of the anxiety could be hormonal. How do I recognize anxiety that is related to my hormones, and how can I relate it naturally without a prescription? Sarah in Utah. Well, she's right in that hormones are going to play a part in every single function, whether it's very well adapted or maladapted, you know, in your body. So we know that estrogen actually links with the endocannabinoid system. And that's been very trendy now because in many states now, you know, marijuana is legal and CBD oil is like, you know, going through the roof, you know, in terms of it's being pushed and marketed. And part of that is because so many people are struggling with anxiety. And of course, they're using a lot of CBD oil for anxiety. And and it works through the endocannabinoid system. It turns out that estrogen is inherently an anxiolytic hormone, meaning it actually reduces anxiety. And one of the reasons that a lot of women have so much anxiety now is because, and this keeps coming up as a recurring theme, we live in a world of endocrine disruptors, chemicals that interfere with the real functioning and connection of estrogen all over the body, including in the brain. So what is your opinion on that CBD oil? Do you, are you a fan of it? You know, like we, we've had several people on the podcast about CBD oil and just how great it's been. What is your opinion on it? And what kind of dosing would you suggest someone take? Well, the problem with it, if you get the hemp oil products, it's really unregulated. So it's, you know, you could try to find a company that you, try and you know you trust. But the reality is that we know that a lot of the hemp oil that's out there that's sort of being touted as CBD is really nothing but oil. There is no CBD even in it. And there's nobody policing this sort of thing. So you don't always know what you're getting. It's so it's, and it's sort of like the wild west out there now with all these different products that are being sold. In terms of marijuana based, they, they in California where I live, they, it's legal, and they now put in controls to actually have to look at the quality. And in the first wave of testing, which just happened recently, many of the products failed. So it was very discouraging because many of them that said they were 100% CBD were actually contaminated with the THC, which is the psychoactive component 
and not, not good at all to throw in a bunch of THC that you don't know that you're getting. So there was a lot of contamination. Much of it was not exact product, they said, not the concentration. So it's, there's still a lot of problems. That said, I would prefer people trying a little CBD oil from a reliable, the most reliable source that they can get depending on the state they're living in and what's legal and everything else before they would start taking benzodiazepams, things like Valium or um, lorazepam or Xanax, because those are actually, I think, more harmful. And, yeah. more, and certainly they're addicting, really addicting, and people die of overdoses of these things. You know, and that's a huge problem of people dying from overdoses of these tranquilizers. So we definitely will not, I would not recommend those. And then I am a big fan of mind-body medicine. Um, I love guided imagery, and you can get these online. They're inexpensive, and they, they're actually sort of a way of entering into a hypnotic state which can be very, very calming. And I love essential oils, bergamot essential oil, lavender, frankincense, rose. These are also very calming. It turns out the olfactory centers in the brain are very linked to our emotional centers, the limbic system. So scents can be very, very anxiolytic, also reducing anxiety. So there are many things. And the unfortunate thing is that she talks about all her friends being put on these um, pharmaceuticals, like the SSRIs, and it's an epidemic. We now know that something like a quarter of all women are on these drugs at any one time, and these drugs are not without their problems. They increase osteoporosis. They alter the way the neuron receptors are working so that it can make it so that it's hard to get off of them. So they're not addicting in one sense, but they are in another because they actually alter neuronal function, and their success rate is about comparable to placebo. So you might as well take a nice placebo and you'll get ultimately the same effect. So it's, these, are, these drugs are not the answer to our problems. So we need to get back to basics. And once again, I find that a lot of it will clear up when you do the intermittent fasting and the time-restricted eating and work on sleep because melatonin comes from serotonin, which is also related to estrogen. There are actually serotonin receptors in the brain that are regulated by estrogen. So we've got to get our cycles right. We've got to get in tune with nature and start eating at the right times and eating the right food and doing mind-body medicine and the herbals and such. There are many herbals that are very, very, very calming. And I think avoiding those pharmaceuticals as she's trying to do is really the best approach. Awesome. Well, we are so excited for your book to come out. Uh, I know everyone's excited. We're looking for that probably the beginning of January, PCOS, SOS, and that's by Dr. Felice Kirsch. It is always a pleasure to have you on the show, and I know the listeners really appreciate you answering all their questions. So you just have to let us know the day that it comes out so everyone can run out and get the book. I will do that. And thank All you so right. much for letting me share with you and with your, your viewers, because I know it's very hard for women to get answers. And anytime I'm here for you. Well, you are such a blessing to all of us. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at chantelrayway.com. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to chantelrayway.com coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.